2: Det här avsnittet av Uppstickarna spelas in på engelska.
1: So, welcome to our podcast Uppstickarna where I Johanna Snickers alongside Karin Becklund meets with female thought leaders on the way up and who stands out for a
2: conversation about career, communications and more. We want to meet women who make it different through communication. And we do it because we want to show good uh, role models. And also we're very curious to hear their stories. How did they get where they are today? And what do they actually do during their days? And uh, Uppstickarna is a collaboration with Dagens Media. Today's
1: guest is none other than the Canadian Barbara Stewart, one of the world's leading researchers in the themes and topics women and finance, as well as an author and former fund manager. For the ninth year, she releases a new research report on the topic on International Women's Day, which is also why she's here in Stockholm to speak on the topic right now. Your drive is that women needs finance and finance needs women. And I remember clearly the first time I got to listen to Barbara speak. It was some seven years ago, I think. (laughs) And it completely changed my outlook on risk-taking in the stock market, which has had a very positive impact on my financials. So welcome, Barbara, we're very happy to have you here.
3: Thank you, I'm delighted to be here. And uh, I love Stockholm, and it's always been a very friendly city for me. And it was the first time I ever spoke about my research, so it's thrilling to be back. Wow.
2: How come you come here so often?
3: Well, it's a long story, but my husband's with Deloitte. He's actually got an event tonight. He's uh, d- does tech media and telecom, and he speaks around the world on that. So I travel with him, and uh, it just we coordinate all of our plans. and so he ends up speaking here, or I do now. Every couple of months, two or three months, we're back and forth. Mm. It's great. So
1: if you were to tell us about yourself in a few sentences, what would you say? A
3: few sentences? Well, I think when people are communicators, uh, like me, definitely. I mean, that's 120% of what I do these Mm -hmm. days. Uh, You assume that they're extroverted people often. And in fact, even though I'm very comfortable now speaking in front of large audiences or small audiences, I'm still uh, not a very social person, so I would much prefer to be home with a good book. (laughs) Um, And I love reading, and I love writing most of all. So in terms of my personality, I'm pretty intense, uh, and I like one-on-one relationships, very meaningful relationships, Mm -hmm. so I have select few friends all around the world now. And um, that's that's me. So I, if, if I get invited to a dinner party even or anything with more than, you know, two or three people, it's not my thing. So I kind of dread social interaction,
1: which might be surprising. Yeah, it is very surprising, especially for someone f- that for a job talks in front of big audiences and holds Q&A and counseling and coaching and...
3: Yeah, I think um, I'm so motivated by the topic and my feeling around why it's important that we change the world on this, which we're doing uh, collectively, that I don't think of it as a social interaction. I think of it as this is my life work and it's important. And as long as I think of it as that, then I don't get all worried about the social part
2: of it. No, well, maybe it's not really the same thing. I mean, because you're you're speaking you're doing your thing and not interacting. in, in, in Exactly. The
3: social, yeah. Exactly. And I think of it as I'm sharing this collective wisdom of all the women that I interview. And those are one-on-one interviews. So those are completely enjoyable for me.
1: So how did you get where you are today?
3: Well, I had a very traditional upbringing. And it wasn't that fun, to be honest. And <laughs> I grew up in uh, England to begin with. But then Ottawa, which is a pretty small town in Canada, even though it's the capital of Canada. And my recollection is always being in this, you know, very kind of patriarchal family, uh, two kids and a mom and a dad. And I would lie in bed at night thinking, how do I get out of this small place? (laughs) And just this sort of, you know, it, it, it just Always was on my mind that I wanted to see the world and so every night pretty much I would think to myself How am I going to make my life more worldly? And so I sort of did everything to make that happen. I studied international business I wanted to be in the finance world because I realized that would give me access to knowledge which was pretty key And then from there, just step by step, it was always about I wanted to be an interesting person and I wanted to be an international person and I wanted to always be able to talk with progressive thinking people, people that weren't just interested in, you know, this is my family and that's it. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Mm -hmm. Do you have a life motto or philosophy?
3: I do. It's come about actually because of all the speaking that I've done Um, it takes practice to speak obviously and it's not comfortable the first time you do it so somebody when I worked at Xerox many many years ago told me this great phrase that's really helped me and it's you become what you think about Mm. and so now every time before I go and speak anywhere I always think that to myself you become what you think about. So I make sure I'm thinking about really good things and that I'm thinking that of course it'll be a success and of course it's important that I speak about this. Mm -hmm. That's a good phrase, yeah. Works, try it.
1: (laughs) So what did you want to be when you grew up? Well, that's kind
3: of funny because when I was a teenager, I used to wander around with a fake microphone Mm -hmm. and I would (laughs) fake interview people. I didn't know that's what I wanted to be. But now when I look back, it was obvious. I would walk around the schoolyard with my fake microphone going, so, what do you do today? (laughs) And my maiden name was Ross, so I was Barbara Ross, and the local news uh, broadcaster was CBC, Canadian Broadcasting Corporation. So I would do these fake interviews, and then I'd say, Barbara Ross, CBC News,
1: (laughs) in this broadcaster voice true story yeah. <laughs> yeah was that perceived as normal no. Really cool? <laughs> <laughs> no no <laughs> but fair enough people put up with it but you do a lot of interviews for your research now so it's you might have g- had good practice then i think so and <laughs> uh, what was your biggest learning Well, I think it goes back to that traditional upbringing
3: and, you know, of course I loved my parents. I don't mean to be too hard on them, but it was really just the structure of the household that I think I was having trouble with in general. But my biggest learning along the way has definitely been that your parents' values aren't necessarily your values. And you don't have to have the same values as your parents. And it doesn't mean you should go out and rob banks if they're telling you (laughs) other good things. But they can be wildly out of sync with your individual personality. And I think in my case, they were. So it was a constant struggle to try and fit in and be a good girl and please parents. Uh, Because that's natural that you want to do that. Mm. But on the other hand, you have to think about that's my soul what's happening there and over the years I think if there's anything I could look back at and wish that I'd changed earlier it would have been to try not to be so good all the time in not that to fit in. in that regard not to fit in and I think I, I, I'm sure they would have probably accepted it anyway I just had no idea I could be any other way
1: It's mm. mm. an interesting learning
3: mm-hmm. What is
1: your biggest fuck up?
3: I mean, obviously, there have been a few, if we're we're honest. Uh, In terms of career, I had a job that I loved um, as an investment counselor for a bank, a big bank in Canada, and I loved going to work every day. And then I got headhunted or recruited, whatever you call it, and uh, for a lot more money, um, convinced to change that job into something in the mutual fund industry that... I frankly wasn't that interested in, but the money was so good and so much more than what I was earning that I thought, how can I say no to this? Mm -hmm. And I took the job and three months in, I had just been struggling every single day. I wasn't remotely interested in the job. I had to frankly like put on a fake personality every day to get through the day and I would cry almost every night. So... Even though I had this guaranteed amazing income for a year, I quit after three months and I felt like a complete failure and I took six weeks off and I just walked my dog every day and cried and thought, what was I going to do with myself? Um, It was a bad time, Mm -hmm. but you know what? It gives you strength, right? Yeah. Would you have done it any other way? probably i'm just kidding (laughs) i mean looking back it was an extremely tough time but it definitely did tell me that i'm not so driven by money and i I never will be again Mm. uh, not against you know it's just not worth it Mm. for me i mean you need a certain amount of money but i'm not going to be the one with the biggest house and the beautiful car Mm. what's your biggest success for me, it has to be becoming a CFA charter holder. So that's chartered financial An- analyst, which I know isn't as big in the Nordics here uh, because there's different types of designation designations to manage money internationally, but C F A globally is the highest designation you can possibly get in finance and it gives you the authority or the credibility to manage billion dollar pension funds. I didn't ever do that, but it's great to have that credibility mm. and it's just getting that. It was such a difficult designation to get. It's three years of, of sheer hell basically. <laughs> three years. Yeah, it's it's very, very intense. The exams are six hours long. Mm. And uh, it's the pass rate is terrible. It's like 45% of people pass each exam. So it's rigorous, but the industry recognizes it so well that if you can get through it, you kind of don't have to worry ever again about your own credibility in the investment industry. So it was the best thing I ever did. And I'd have to say, especially as a woman, because in terms of CFAs, globally, there are only, I think the stats are... It's moving up. uh, It's like 18 to 20% or something of global CFA managers or analysts, rather, are women. One in five. One in five, exactly. So it's helped me a lot and it's given me so much confidence also the CFA institute is amazing with me they they uh, share articles that i write mm-hmm. for them all over the world and i speak around the world at their different CFA societies so it's been amazing
1: mm-hmm. Maybe you can help drive up the stats then.
3: That's what I'm doing, actually. I'm I'm (laughs) trying hard. And um, there's an article coming out tomorrow that I wrote about that because the stats have been going up a little bit. Mm -hmm. But I've spent the last five years, I think I've talked to something like 40 CFA societies around the world, Mm -hmm. really trying to encourage younger women Mm -hmm. to do the designation. It's a big task. How do you work with goals? Um, Well, it's interesting because I... I would say I don't on a day-to-day basis. so I don't really think much about it. But on the other hand, I take a summer holiday with my husband in the south of France. Every year we go hiking. Uh, we love it. We you know set out at 10 in the morning, come back at four, like six to eight hour hikes every single day mm-hmm. for three to six weeks, depending on how much time we mm-hmm. can take off. And you know, there's no social media, there's no phone, there's no anything. And we have these incredibly long conversations And we talk about everything. And I realize that that's our annual planning retreat. Mm -hmm. We don't say it is, it's supposed to be our holiday, and it is fun. But we talk on these hikes, you know, on these beautiful summer days, and we talk about how did that year go? Or what are we going to do next year? What would you like to do? What kind of people would you like to interact more with? What kind of people would you like to interact less with? Who are your friends and why? And after those uh, meetings, if you will, I always come back and sort of cull things and move things around, move some people, you know, into different places, depending on what I've thought about. And it's so refreshing and that includes financial planning as well in, in a really informal way. We always kind of talk about, oh yeah, so you'll be doing this and I'll be doing this. But nothing's really put pen to paper, mm. but it's where really the big thinking
1: comes in every year.
2: Sounds amazing. <laughs> when, I did, when I did
1: coaching, it was always a method to do walk and talk because you you think better when you're walking and talking at the same time. So it's a sort of a progressive work. Definitely. But don't you get tired of each other if you (laughs) (laughs) walk and talk for three to six weeks? Well, that's you would think
3: think that, (laughs) but we seem to become more and more madly in love (laughs) all the time. I don't know. I've got one of those, you know, knock on wood, amazing relationships.
1: But it seems that the work you put in.
3: Well, yeah, I don't know. It doesn't feel like work. It's Mm -hmm. one of those. I think we're lucky in that way, but we spend so much time together and it just seems to deepen things and we just seem to... Want to spend more and more time together,
1: which is great, mm. to say the least. What is uh, success to you then? You said you you won't be the one with the big house or
2: no, or the biggest house. I got a nice house. <laughs> I got a nice
1: house. <laughs>
3: um, success to me is definitely about designing my own life and creating my own life and financing my own life. I will never take money from anyone, including my husband. Um, We have very different financial situations. We both were married previously. I feel so good that I'm taking care of myself. And that's another reason why I always encourage younger women to do this. It's hard to know the feeling unless you, you know, you build it yourself. But it's incredible, because I think one of the reasons I have such a romantic relationship with my husband is that we don't have to worry about money. And one of us is not financing the other's life and that type of thing. So for me, it is truly create my own life and finance my own life.
2: Mm -hmm. How come you are successful? How oh, come on, I'm successful? Yeah. What, what, well, well, yeah, what drives uh, you? I
3: think that original thing that we talked about drives me the kind of got to get out of this type of existence in this small family kind of thing, bigger world uh, thinking. But I have tons and tons of ideas all the time. So it'd be really easy to be all over the place. And I see people who are like that and I feel sorry for them because you can kind of see it. They're just all over the place and it's fun and exciting and everything's interesting, but you don't really get anything done in the end. So I think why I've had any success would really be that I've been able to focus and I focus hard on two things. What I'm really interested in and what I'm really good at. Mm -hmm. And even though there's a long list of things I can do, um, I try to put them in the order of what I'm best at, because I think I'll probably succeed more at those things. Mm -hmm. And for me, those two things are research and writing. Mm -hmm. I love them
1: both. Mm -hmm. And the interviewing part.
3: Yeah, and that is research. Oh, okay. Interviewing, to me, is is my research because my research is, for the most part, qualitative research, yeah, which is true. one-on-one interviews. Sure. Who are your uh, role models or idols? Well, I don't really have one. Um, I think that I take a lot of positive qualities from a lot of different people. Again, because I meet so many people, it's really a wonderful situation. So all of these women that I interview, usually there's something I learn from them as well. So it's amazing. I, love, I was actually at the Paris FinTech Forum in, at the end of January this year, and Christine Lagarde was on stage. And I have to say, I loved what she said. They asked her, you know, why is it so important that we have FinTech and with women and progress? And she said, to help cure or to stop violence against women. And the whole Mm -hmm. place went quiet because Mm -hmm. nobody expected her to say that at the Paris FinTech forum. Like Mm -hmm. that was the number one reason why FinTech was important to stop violence against Mm -hmm. women. So I have to say I admired her for taking Mm -hmm. the leadership for that and just for being in the place she is. It's pretty incredible. Mm
4: Pack your bags with high quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to Quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.
3: Otherwise, I you know my role models are funny, they're animals to some extent because I've always had Bernese mountain dogs and they're hilarious and they make me laugh and be silly and be funny. And I'm not naturally a funny, silly person. So I love dogs for that (laughs) reason. They just bring out my sense of humor.
2: (laughs) Have you ever had a mentor or do you have a dog mentor?
3: (laughs) (laughs) Probably. No, I've never had a mentor and I've never really been a mentor. Mm. I think via my rich thinking research, I'm hoping to be kind of a a mentor en masse Mm -hmm. to a bunch of people. But there's never been one person that I've really looked up to that's helped me. Again, it's just been so many men and women along the way where I I ask a lot of questions of a lot of smart people. Mm. And I get my answers, and then I move on.
2: Mm. Given your um, research on um, women in finance, what are your top three takeaways?
3: Over the years, I mean, there have been many, but I think the, the... core ones are definitely that women learn about investing or anything, actually. They prefer to learn about it through storytelling. And so we're seeing this more and more, and this is why women are getting more interested in investing, whether it's podcasts like this or video clips or quotes through uh, the type of work that I'm doing, anything along those lines, case studies, documentaries, whatever, women prefer to learn that way mm-hmm. rather than reading dull annual reports or mm-hmm. staring at charts and graphs and things like that. So that's become very clear to me over the years. Secondly, uh, my favorite line, women are risk-aware, not risk-averse. That's also become clear because we see all of the time women taking huge risks. They do it a little bit differently and they usually take longer to make a decision, and they do their homework Uh, but they will take calculated risk Mm -hmm. and then the other huge thing is about investing when i've talked to all of these smart women the one thing that they do is they get started investing they don't sit on the fence and think maybe i should invest maybe i will one day i don't know i've got so many other things to do they don't do that they just get started
1: and that's so important When I listened to that many years ago, that was one of the things that struck me. Like, just go out and buy one stock, you know, for, for no money. Just try do it, it, do it, mm-hmm. start. And also, there I consider myself very risk-aware. But then again, it's more of the calculated risks.
3: Yes. And those are even better, right? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> they usually work out better.
2: Yeah.
1: And, and I think you also said that well, start with a company you care about or if you go grocery shopping in the same yeah every day, like buy that stock because then you already know the products or exactly. the company. So you don't need to be In the investment type of mind and read all the annual reports Mm -hmm. but start with something that's close to your heart sort of
3: and it might go up or it might go down but the point is that it builds confidence Mm because if you're practicing and you're just you're removing the whole fear of what is this world of investing it's terrifying if you overthink it Mm. whereas if you just go out and buy a couple stocks follow them sell them see what happens not with all your money of course
1: (laughs) (laughs) You worked as a trader and portfolio manager and investment counselor. Uh, What has it been like to be part of that environment?
3: Well, it's what I wanted when I was a kid, Mm -hmm. looking up at the stars in the sky. It's very intellectually stimulating because you are really talking about world markets. And if you work in a trading room like I did trading foreign currency, All markets interact. So you're in the middle of stocks, bonds, anything to do with interest rates, currencies, whatever, and seeing how they're all integrated, you do feel like you're at the center of the world. And it's very intellectually stimulating. Uh, The one drawback that became clear over time to me, the more that I worked as a portfolio manager with private clients, high net worth individuals whatever firm that you're with generally has an investment style and you as the person dealing with the client have to represent that firm's philosophy of investing so as we know investing goes in cycles you can be really hot one year and terrible the next year but you have to obviously stick with the philosophy of the firm that you're with and depending on the day that can be really difficult to do see because you don't feel like you're in control of your own destiny Mm -hmm. And I think over time, that's probably why I ended up moving more towards research 100%. Mm. uh, Because I was always with good firms, so it wasn't an issue. But I didn't really want to have to continue to talk about the same investment philosophy. I wanted the freedom to do other things.
2: Mm. Was it anything like Wall Street? the
3: movie <laughs> I actually have never seen the
2: movie oh. <laughs> uh, and the funny part is if you work
3: in the investment environment all day yeah. and y- y- you never go to movies like that I've never seen traders I've never seen billionaires or whatever it is I just never watch those shows I don't even watch business television because huh? you're so saturated in it all day it's the last thing you feel like watching okay so you don't know if it's like nope <laughs> probably <laughs>
1: Every year on International Women's Day, you launch this new white paper on the Rich Thinking Series, a report based on global research on women in finance. What's it about this year? This year, hot off the press, it's called Smart Women, Big Ideas. Mm -hmm. And I spent last
3: year asking, it's actually 58 women last year that I interviewed, and I asked them three questions. Uh, The first one was, what's the biggest or best idea you've ever had in your life? And then how did you invest in that idea? Mm. And then what happened? Mm. So you've got to read this. It's going to be live, yeah. March 8th. All kinds of great stories all over the place. They kind of fell into three categories, these ideas. One I called carpe diem, so Latin for seize the day, mm-hmm. which is people who had these bright ideas to capitalize on something, like either a trend or a demand that we were seeing in the marketplace. Uh, The second was self-actualization, so people that had an idea around how they could better fulfill their own potential or develop their own talent. Mm -hmm. And then the last was a a category of the greater good. Lots of people, actually about a quarter of the women I interviewed, had an idea that would help society somehow, Mm -hmm. whether it's promoting health or gender equality or whatever, something social uh, that would move the world forward. And there's all kinds of stories. It's
1: so There exciting. were a few Swedes interviewed too.
3: Yes. Uh, this year I had Anna Svan, who I think is a fairly um, well-known young mm. woman here and successful investor. And also Philippa Strandanger. pardon my <laughs> accent, <laughs> who was uh, hosting at the Nordea event today. She's a sustainability ambassador. Really interesting story there mm. too. But over the years, many Swedish women have been interviewed.
1: Me
2: included. Yes. Mm. What year was that? Two years ago, I think. Okay, I don't three, know. Two, I think. Three.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I've now done over seven hundred. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I what I, day I was should that? Probably
2: remember. Yes. Maybe Johanna can. <laughs> I uh, can share, share my the investment the tips. <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> uh, share the reports. but I really
1: like. I li- really like. Yeah, I can. And yeah. I really like the the question that you said. What's your big idea and how did you invest in it? Mm-hmm. Because. I think that's something we could also ask uh, our guests. Mm -hmm.
3: By the way, I found out, I did a little bit of a quantitative study this year for the first time, and I asked some specific questions. And one was, how much money did you invest in your idea? Like dollar amount, Mm -hmm. and I gave categories. And over a third of the women invested over $50,000 in their idea. And over a quarter invested over $100,000 in their idea. So people are putting some big money Uh into their ideas. And I think the implications are huge for the finance industry because all the research I've done, I've always said that a woman's view of investing is much broader than the traditional equity market. Mm. So if we wonder why maybe women don't buy all of the S&P 500 or whatever exchange-traded funds, usually they're investing in something that's really, really important to them. Mm. That's their own business
1: or their own idea.
2: Mm. Hmm.
1: Interesting. And you travel the globe to uh, share your research and speak on it. Does the view on, on investment of finance different between countries or cultures? Or
3: I think very much so. A perfect example would be, aside from rich thinking, I do work on other contracts with global banks and I do qualitative interviews for them so it's 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 great fun for me but last year I did 61 hour interviews with male and female CEOs for a big bank and we were trying to write a report on the topic of what is the purpose of the investment management industry and the report will be coming out at some point but that is a huge question obviously and depending where I went in the world I had quite different perspectives on the purpose of the investment management industry. So we go from somewhere like Israel, or Japan, where the purpose if you ask any CEO as well, it's obvious to make money. And that's it kind of end of story. No other reason to exist. I'm, I'm generalizing here, but that's the extreme. And then you've got the other extreme, which is the nordics for example where a ceo here would more often than not tell you it's definitely to do with sustainability and there's so many other important factors Mm. that greater good kind of thing Mm. so you see sort of these extremes
2: and not much in between depending on where you go Mm. how was the transaction from working uh, with the numbers to becoming an author and columnist
3: Well, actually, it was nice because it was a slow transition because I did both for a while. I kept my job while I was doing rich thinking. Rich thinking was very much a side project. And then as it became more popular and I did more and more speaking on it, I found myself was I was just run ragged and I was like having two jobs and I was passionate enough to keep doing it. But at some point I knew I have to pick one because this is crazy. So I um, now, actually it was nearly three years ago that I decided to focus exclusively on being a researcher and I've been fortunate and it worked out really well and I do have other research contracts. Um, But I'm still very much a numbers person and it, it never leaves you. And I don't think I could be doing the type of research contracts that I am if I didn't have the CFA designation. Gives you the credibility to interview CEOs in the finance industry. I don't think they would just let anybody do that because you have to understand the numbers as well. How do you view
1: your own personal brand? Do you have a strategy?
3: Um, I I do, actually, and it's pretty simple. Uh, To differentiate myself, it's always been I don't want to talk about negative things about women in finance. I think we've got enough of that, and the whole reason I started Rich Thinking is to counter that. So my brand is really about sharing positive stories about women and money. Also, I never say anything bad about men, and I don't like it when other people do. I love men, and I think there are a lot of great men in the world who also support our interests. So I share positive stories, I don't say bad things about men, and the other thing is I focus on what people do rather than what they say. So this works really well with women because women tend to be a bit self-deprecating if they're describing their abilities as investors. And so I follow movement and I try to find out what have they actually done with their money? And you know, if you talk to a woman, you get into it. Oh yeah, well, I got this big new job and I bought a house and I did this and they're fabulous. If you get into it Mm -hmm. but they'll probably beforehand tell you no you know i could be better Mm. so i watch what they do Um, what social channels do you use and why Mm. i'm uh, extremely active on linkedin Mm -hmm. and i think that's just my comfort zone for some reason it started out as my comfort zone and it just always was i wasn't going to put out you know too many personal photos However, the person I'm married to, because he's tech, media and telecom, lives on Facebook. And so my face is always out there, too. And I've had to come to terms with that. So I don't worry now as much about having a perfect photo, which might be good for me. (laughs) Um, I'm pretty active on Twitter for the same reason, just sort of general, just getting information out there and also reading I, I love it. I mean, it's a great source of news. And I'm moderately active on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Uh, once in a while, I'll post, you know,
2: what I had for dinner or whatever.
3: Not <laughs> I don't do much on Instagram, but I'm I'm trying mm-hmm.
2: here and there. Which is your target group, would you say?
3: My target group's definitely women. Um, I love talking to younger women. And because they're just, they're just love this information. They just want knowledge Mm -hmm. so it it inspires me to talk to younger and when i say younger women i mean like 40 years old and younger kind of thing i also like talking to women that are older i like talking to men i think if you want to change the world which i definitely am trying to do with this whole positive spin on women and money you have to talk to everyone in the world every both genders Mm -hmm.
2: if you you say you want to change the world how do you want to change it what's your dream goal
3: I think my job will be done when we never talk about women in finance again, (laughs) and that we have equal representation in the finance industry. Mm -hmm. And we don't think it's strange if women are investors. And I think, you know, it has been proven time and time again with many studies, and my article will list a lot of them, uh, that women are in fact incredibly competent investors. So if they're not investing, that's one thing. But when they do invest, they're incredibly competent Mm -hmm. and often outperform men. So there's no reason why we should have this split. Mm -hmm. And so I would like to never hear anything negative about women and money again.
1: So what will you do in the future? Five or 10 years? Well,
3: assuming that 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 I'm still needed I hope to be doing exactly the same thing I I really love it and I love I love the interviews and I love the travel and I love the speaking and so as long as it's useful to other people I'll keep doing exactly the same thing what if you
2: don't need to do it (laughs) In five years.
3: Well, then we'll just have a big celebration, <laughs> a global celebration for equality. Mm-hmm. And then I'll have to figure out something else to do <laughs> and
2: we'll have to talk about it. How would you like to look back at your life when you're old? I am old. <laughs> <laughs> nah. I would, I, you know, everything
3: I've learned along the way really goes into what I'm doing now. Mm-hmm. So I think I would look back and be really happy that I ended up where I'm at because, you know, if I'd kept doing jobs that were all about money and no fun, I don't think I'd be a very happy person. Mm. And I, I think now I'm really living all parts of myself and all using all of my skills, which to me is what, what one should do
1: mm. as a human being on the planet. Mm-hmm. We actually have a question from uh, the last guest, Lisa Ritter. And uh, the question was, well, if you had to change jobs and industry completely, what would you do? For
3: me, that's easy because I, along the way, have often thought, why didn't I become a journalist? Mm -hmm. Because I love all these interviews. (laughs) Now, it's a pretty terrible industry these days to Mm -hmm. be in, pretty challenging. But if I could do it all again, I would go and get a master's in journalism and I would be formally (laughs) trained, a real microphone, exactly, and be a reporter or be reading the
2: news or something like that. You could have your own podcast. <laughs>
3: Maybe, yeah. yeah. Join
2: you too. <laughs> Do you have a question that we can pass on to our next guest?
3: Fantastic. Well, here's my question. Would you like to be interviewed for Rich Thinking next year (laughs) I'm working on my interviews this is serious and the topic will be smart women top tips for business success and that'll be released that'll be released March 8th 2020 Mm. and that'll be the
1: 10th year of rich thinking and I'd love to include her we will definitely bring that along many thanks Barbara for being a guest in our podcast taking the time out of your hectic schedule around the world uh, to inspire us in both career, communication and finance. It was really inspiring to learn your story. And to our listeners, subscribe to our podcast. Give a recommendation or give us feedback on Facebook or, or Instagram. Did you like this episode or have an input on future guests? We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening.
2: Thank you. Thank you.